Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And I just want to say how, uh, how delightful it is to be able to gather together, how uh, excited we are leading into next week. As Rich mentioned, we've got some folks here today, and it is uh, whew, it's a lot uh, to take in. And so we are eager to have us all back together, and we thank you all for the patience and the, the fortitude and everything you've shown during this time where we've been apart, um, and uh, just want to honor that uh, this morning. We do uh, want to invite you to go to onelifeseattle.org live. That's one of the best places you can connect with us. There are others that are great too, but that one has a Bible tab, uh, chat, easy access to online bulletin, other things that are there just for you. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're really just glad that you're able to connect with us in whatever way works best for you. Uh, before I pray, we also want to take a moment and acknowledge that this weekend is Juneteenth, where we celebrate the emancipation of enslaved African Americans in the United States. And we want to remember that and honor that. But it's also much more than that. It's just one step, one of many that need to be taken for our country and for humanity to fully heal from the wrongs that have been done in our country to people of color. And so we here at One Life both acknowledge and honor this step in a good direction that's been taken, but we also look forward from it and seek to grow, learn, and be part of bringing to fruition God's will that the light of Jesus would be present in all nations to all people in the ways that we treat and love one another. With that, let's pray. God, we do just ask that you would help us to continue to grow and learn in all the ways that you have for us. God, that we would live, move, and have our being in you. That everything we do would communicate to the cosmos that you are real and you are love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in week two of our sermon series called Gospel Culture, where we're doing an exploration of a letter that was written to a group of new churches in a place called Galatia, or what we would know today as Turkey. Uh, and last week, we started by identifying some of the key things about this letter that are going to really help guide this exploration. And the first was that it indeed is a letter, uh, and that influences how we read it. It was written by a guy named Paul, and Paul's got a big backstory, but the short version, hopefully, is... He wasn't always named Paul. Earlier in his life, he was named Saul. He was what we call a Pharisee, and he was a zealous Pharisee. Um, and what this means is that he believed wholeheartedly that keeping the law of God, the rules and the guidelines set forth in the Old Testament, was the means to pleasing God, making God happy. Uh, and they were really God setting forth the, the ways and the guidelines for people to live out their belief in God. But they served to both highlight how humanity was unable to follow God perfectly while also providing guides or boundaries to show the nation of Israel if they were getting off track. Now, the Pharisees were also one of the main groups who worked to have Jesus killed and were plotting against him all the time. Now this guy Saul was so zealous in these beliefs that he would find him in the book of Acts attending and approving of the killing of people who were following Jesus. And he was also going from town to town, looking for Christ followers and having them in prison. And it was all seen because he saw the followers of Christ as being blasphemers against God and against the law of Israel. Now, Jesus said that he was the Son of God. And that was kind of one of the key things, that if you were following any other God, 
then that was a problem for Saul. So much so that he thought it was worthy of you dying or at the very least being imprisoned for. He has this pretty intense interaction with Jesus on this place called the road to Damascus. He's actually knocked down and he loses his sight. He meets a follower of Jesus who puts his hand on his eyes and says that scales, something like scales, fell off of his eyes. And this begins the next phase in uh, what I think is a life devoted to God and now is transitioning to add following Jesus to that. And he becomes the one who is called to bring the gospel, the good news that God has launched his kingdom, this new age, right in the midst of this current evil age, and that it's for all people. And so he's called to bring that to the Gentiles. And it's amazing because Paul would have been a person who wouldn't have wanted to have anything to do with the Gentiles, again, because of the law, which said that people who worshipped other gods were unclean, especially if they had a lot of idols involved in that. And in the culture at the time, there were idols and gods to worship everywhere. And so anyone who was doing that was unclean. And so now we see Paul amazingly called by the grace of God to be the person who brings the message of good news to the very people that he would have said were unclean. We saw that Paul made this trip, and it took him along the northern edge of the Mediterranean Sea, where he's beginning to uh, start these gatherings of uh, Christ followers in this area of Galatia that we're talking about and bring the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. And sometime after that, some other Jesus followers who believed that you needed to maintain a whole bunch of rituals and rites um, and, uh, and sacrifices and things like this that were part of the Jewish culture, um, they believed you needed to maintain those even if you were following Jesus. And what they're saying is that by Paul not telling this group of Galatians this, that he's not giving them the whole story. And so they need to sort of up their game and they need to follow these rituals and customs. Uh, the ones that are specifically brought up in this letter are some food restriction rituals and also circumcision. And, and Paul says to all of this, I, I'm astonished that you're so quickly turning from the gospel of grace and you're listening to these other teachers. And they're invited by Paul to come again and follow Jesus because he says they're following a false gospel, a perverted gospel, in which he says is actually no gospel at all. And one of the things we identified last week was this foundation that Paul kind of builds everything in this letter off of. And we said it was a fourfold statement. And it was found in Galatians 1, 3 through 5. And it said, Grace and peace to you from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Um, come back, there we go. Uh, gave ourselves to our sins um, uh, to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, the four things in there was, one, that Jesus died for our sins. This was to rescue us from the present age. That's number two. Number three is that it's all according to the will of God and that all of this gives God glory. And, and that's, again, kind of this foundation that Paul is going to say, that's really the gospel. I'm building everything I'm going to talk about off of that. And so the section we're going to look at this morning comes right on the heels of that, and it's Galatians 1, 10 through 17. If you have your Bible, you can follow along there, or if you want to click on the Bible tab in our online platform, you can follow there, or if you just want to watch the screen as I read it, you can follow along there. Again, this is uh, Galatians 1, 10 through 17. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard in my previous way of life in Judaism how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. So Paul, in his attempts to continue to to introduce this reality of the gospel to them, walks them through his story. But why would he do that? How is that helping this situation? In verse 10, we discover that Paul is being labeled as a people pleaser. He asks the question, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so three times, just in that verse, Paul mentions this idea of being a people pleaser, wanting to win the approval of humans. And what he says is that, that and serving Christ don't exist together well. And now Paul's not talking about if you have a, a tendency to, to want people to be happy so you're a bit conflict avoidant. He's talking about at the end of the day, what rules in your heart? The desire slash the need for people to be happy in your role in that or following God into this newly launched kingdom? Which one are you going to walk in? And so and so Paul pushes back, and he asks if he was really trying to put, uh, please humanity, why would he put himself in the position of being a servant to Jesus? If I was really trying to win the favor of people to gain applause or popularity, then what he's saying is I'm going about it the completely wrong way by following Jesus. And he goes on to say that the gospel he preaches is not a product of his own mind or something that was given to him by any human. He says, but I received it by revelation from Jesus. Now, this word revelation in the Greek is this word, um, it's really kind of different to say. It's apokalipsis, um, and uh, it's directly connected to a word it sounds like that we often use, which is apocalypse. And now, before we go thinking about zombies and the end of the world and things like that, you have to know that that's a very modern Uh, idea attached to this word apocalypse because the word really means as you can see on the slide a disclosure of the truth something laid bare it's used of events by which things or states or persons hitherto withdrawn from view are made visible to all so basically something that was before unseen is now seen and so Paul can say there was a revelation that I received from God of Jesus I saw Jesus who I had not seen before And so even within the revelation at the end of the Bible, we've taken this term apocalypse and made it about the return of Jesus and what many would call the end of the world. And although that is attached to it, I think that biblically the word has nothing on its own just in and of itself to do with that. 
It's strictly that something that was covered, something that was seen is now unveiled. And in the Revelation at the end of the Bible, John gets a glimpse into the throne room of God. Something that was unseen is now seen. And so Paul is saying there's something in my pursuit of God and righteousness that I could not see. And Jesus was revealed to me. And this is going to serve two purposes. One, it's going to validate his claim that this gospel of Jesus, the good news that the kingdom of God being present in this world, here and now, in this current messy age, where Jesus is rescuing people, a kingdom for all humanity, that it comes directly from Jesus. Right? It's not that he imagined it, made it up. It's not that he received it from someone else, but it came from a direct encounter with Jesus. And so first and foremost, it means that the gospel he is sharing is the true gospel straight from Jesus. And the second thing it does is it legitimizes his story. So not only is the gospel that Paul shares directly from Jesus, but it's that same Jesus, that same gospel that has radically transformed his life because he received it by revelation. And he's going to say in just a moment in verse 15 that when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. It's not only a revelation straight from Jesus, but it's from the inside out. Just like the song we sang just a moment ago. God revealed to Paul that Jesus was in him working from the inside out. So again, Paul is saying that this gospel that I'm sharing is not from man or some external teaching But what was revealed to me was Christ in me, a work that only God could do. And so again, from here, Paul keeps building, and now he's moving on. He reminds them of how he was and the things that he did in terms of persecuting the church and how intensely he did this. That he was trying to destroy the church is the word he uses. Destroy these gathered groups of Jesus followers. And then Paul does this really interesting thing here in that he evokes the language of Old Testament prophets. Right? And the challenge is that if we're not familiar with those Old Testament passages, we're going to miss it. And Paul is not saying, I'm like or I am these prophets when he does this. What he's doing is saying, I'm being a prophetic voice as myself. I'm not drawing comparisons in the sense of I'm becoming a new Elijah or a new Jeremiah, but by being Paul, I'm walking in the line of these prophets. And Paul says, he was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He says that in Galatians 1, 14b. And by fathers, Paul means those who have come before him and taught him for sure, but also means the patriarchal fathers of Israel, Moses, Joshua, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, there's something else in these words that should ring familiar. 1 Kings 19, 9 through 10 says this, right? There he went into a cave. This is speaking of Elijah and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And if we remember the story of Elijah, he was in this huge battle right, with the prophets of this other god called Baal, where the contest is not so much between the people, but it's between the gods, Yahweh and Baal. And in the end, Yahweh is victorious. And then out of this, Elijah has 450-some prophets of Baal killed. The people rounded them up, and they killed these prophets. Now, I'm going to say, I don't find in in the passage anywhere that it says God told Elijah to do that. 
And this gets him in a lot of trouble. And so he runs away. And so we see then the way in this moment that Elijah was zealous for God. Right? It wasn't just the building of this altar and the calling down of God. Right? Where God does this dramatic display of his power. But it's after that too that Elijah feels the need to round up these prophets of the other God and kill them. And we look in verse uh, 15. It says, uh, Paul says, But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Right? And in some translation it says from, from my birth. Uh, and that's a, another good uh, translation. But I think this one uh, in my mother's womb, even from my mother's womb, evokes again some language from these Old Testament prophets that I think is uh, really important. If we look at Jeremiah 1.4.5. It says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Like, can you see the language here? It's, it's, it's not just the part about from, you know, from the mother's womb or from before my birth, but now there's this added aspect of the nations. So Paul is building something here. And in Isaiah 49.1, speaking of the servant of God, it says, listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. There's again this sense of God being aware of the person and, and, and their calling from before they were born. Now, this passage is about a servant and the servant of God character that we usually say points clearly to Jesus, and it does. But then why is Paul leaning in on it? Is Paul saying he is Jesus? Is he saying that I'm that servant? In a way, yes, and in a way, no. If we remember that what was revealed is Christ in him, then Paul can say that as Christ is in me, my life should look like Jesus. Therefore, I can go and be the voice to the nations. I can tap into that calling that Jesus received because he lives in us. This is even quoted in the book of Acts, where Paul says this in Acts 13, 47. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. This is Paul and Barnabas. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. It's a straight quote out of Isaiah from the passage I just looked at just a little bit later. Right? It's that servant idea. And Paul says this is the commission that God has given us. This is the mission that we have. And so Paul takes this thematic for his own vocation. And the promise, Isaiah 49, 6, of being a light to the nations. And he adopts that as his own. That this is a call on my life. And it's all because of this phrase, Christ in me. Christ in me. Paul is saying that all the stuff that these rival teachers are saying about me is false. And the reason why is that the gospel I share is not my own. It's directly from Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus in me that is shaping and informing who I am. Paul sees his very identity as being part of this newly launched kingdom, this rescue of all humanity from the present evil age. I think Paul sees his part to bring God's light to the Gentiles, not as even disloyalty to those traditions that he says he was so zealous for and as his critics are claiming, but as the fulfillment of those traditions in some previously unimagined ways. This Christ in me idea is that again, the gospel that Paul was preaching and sharing, living out 
was given by God in the unveiling, the revealing, the showing of what had been unseen, that the risen Christ is in Paul. Not something that he learned or not something that he made up. And it wasn't just that Paul said things that expressed this truth, but it was to be who and what he was. His nature, his existence, his everything is shaped by this reality. And then Paul continues. He says that I didn't consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who'd been apostles before him, but I went immediately to Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, went up again to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. We might wonder again, why is this even necessary? If we go back to that story about Elijah in 1 Kings, after the issue with the prophets, Elijah goes to Mount Horeb, which is in Arabia, the area that would have been identified as Arabia. And the Lord said to him when he was there, after their conversations, right, where God asked, why are you here? And I said, I've been zealous for you, and the people have killed your prophets. Now they're coming after me. And the Lord says to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Go back to Damascus, Elijah. Re-enter the fray that you left behind, that you fled from where you had been authorizing and killing people. Go back with a new task. So Paul goes into Arabia. And some say he went solely to be alone with God. Others say he went and was sharing the gospel with Gentiles. He was living out this mission in Arabia. And, And when I look at it, I actually don't see why both can't be true. I don't see why this is an argument because my guess is from what I know of Paul is that he couldn't help but share the good news of Jesus wherever he was, even if he was on a pilgrimage of sorts. And the point here is that Paul is again identifying himself with the line of prophets and saying, I'm bringing the light of gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles. And these prophetic connections and echoes, what they do is they locate Paul on this map of God's promises to Israel. And all of this serves to getting the Galatian church to hear that the gospel he is preaching is not his, but it is Christ in him, revealed to him by God, and that that is the part that is breaking in to this world. That is the new kingdom, the age to come being present in the here and now, in the messiness of this present age. Now, this language actually isn't going to be familiar to many of the people who are receiving this letter. The Galatian church, as we talked about, is made up of a lot of Gentiles who they didn't have the background to know all this. So again, why would Paul go into this? One of the things we talked about is these are letters that are circulating to several churches. And not only that, they're read out loud in the assembly, in the gathering. And so it's very likely that the people who are this other group of teachers will be present in some of those gatherings. And so Paul is both introducing this language to the Gentile Christ followers. He's also using it to speak a distinct reality to those who would be accusing Paul of not being genuine and looking to build up his own name to gain popularity. And instead he's saying, no, I'm in a line of prophets that you all really respect. And I'm speaking in that same manner to you. And I'm living in that same manner. We had entitled this sermon, Pleasing Man or Pleasing God. And I want to say that as Paul lives this out, that that is what is pleasing to God. That each one of us would find ourselves in this bigger story of God. 
that we would discover who we are, and in doing so, we would receive the revelation of Christ in us. Not us just talking about Jesus, not us just knowing about Jesus, but Christ in us. Christ thriving and flourishing, bringing new life to us, and then through us to others. Because what is pleasing to God, I believe, is that we are thriving and flourishing in Christ. And by thriving and flourishing, I want to be careful. I don't mean any kind of prosperity doctrine kind of way where we should all have a bunch of wealth um, and, and kind of be working that system. But I mean in the shalom kind of way where all is well for all people. That is the vision of the gospel. That is what Jesus is moving towards in redeeming all things. And Paul's understanding of this is that it's not just a philosophy, a law, or religion that he's following or adhering to, but that Jesus himself lives in him and through him. That's this relationship with Jesus Christ that is the very heart of who Paul is and therefore everything he does. I want to go back to the very beginning of this where Paul never actually says that his goal is to please God. He uses a phrase that asks the Galatians, do they think he's actually trying to win people's approval or God's approval? And he asks it in a way that says, do you think I'm trying to manipulate either people or God? But Paul doesn't see it this way. Paul certainly wants God to be pleased, but that's not really the thing that Paul is going for here. Because if it's based on Paul's actions... And especially in this situation, his ability to perfectly keep the law or keep the rules, he's saying that's the very thing that I'm, I'm in this with you about. It's the very thing that we're struggling through. Because it's not about maintaining a list of rules. Those are helpful guides. But if you think that that is the thing that is going to get you God's love, then you're off. And on Father's Day... I have to brag about my dad for a moment because I learned about God through my dad. My brother and I grew up knowing that our dad loved us regardless of what we did. And trust me, we tested that sometimes. Did it facilitate feelings of happiness if we made good choices that he approved of? Absolutely. Did he get upset when we made bad choices? Sure, but I also think he got sad feeling like maybe we got kind of lost. He knew there were consequences to all of our choices, and some of those outcomes were good and rewarding, and some of them were hard and no fun at all. But my dad loved us and showed us this in lots of ways, whether it was making time to always be there for us or placing little trinkets and objects that we got him for Christmas. I, one year, and I know I've told this before, I got my dad a hunk of brain coral for a Christmas gift and my brother got him a little ceramic snake that had a flower in his mouth and those two objects sat on his desk for everyone to see who came into his office I I think for the entirety of his career we knew and know to this day that he loves us no matter what and this is exactly what Paul is experiencing with God that God loves in this way And so loves us that God sent Jesus, God's own son, to be with us, to live with us, and die with, for, and as one of us. And then to be resurrected from that death to new life, and in doing so made a way for us to be in a good relationship with God, 
and have Christ revealed in us so that we could be a light to the world and that that is the the gist of God's new kingdom, that it's present right here and now for all those things to happen. As we move to wrap this up, I have a couple of thoughts and then we'll have a couple of questions for you to ponder. We'll end with a song and a benediction. Um, I do want to give you a reminder that as we head into the last song, um, at that point our prayer team will be available for you to, um, to be prayed for, prayed with, and really anything you want, whether it's celebratory or difficult or, or, or whatever. We, we love to pray, so, uh, so please uh, move in that. But I do want to say that our world is hurting, and it needs to know Christ in us, Christ in me, Christ in you, Christ in every person. And we're going to be talking over the next couple of weeks about this idea of finding ourselves in God's story, much like Paul did. And what does that look like? As I think about next week and being back in person with more of you, I wonder what kind of journeys we've been on that we haven't been able to express in worship in a gathered way. I wonder what stories we will tell and what prayers we will pray. I wonder how we will see Christ in us throughout this pandemic and into this new time of being physically in each other's space again. How has Christ in us impacted, influenced, and shaped this last year? How does Jesus in me influence my relationships, my work, my recreation, my shuttling kids around, cooking, chores, homework, gardening, exercising, my identity? I'm eager to hear from you all how this goes and where Jesus will lead us as we move together in whatever ways that we can into some new days. I have a couple of questions I want to ask and then there will be a song to sing uh, and then we'll have a benediction to close. My first question is when you hear the phrase Christ in me, what do you think about? How does that phrase work itself out in your life? Maybe you've never heard it before. What does that sound like to you? Second, how does the idea that pleasing God is not so much about following the rules perfectly, but living out of a relationship with Jesus that is so intimate that you can say that Christ is in you? One of my favorite songs is written by Cole Porter, and it's called, I've Got You Under My Skin. It says, I've got you under my skin. So, so deep in my heart that you're really a part of me. And that's like not even a, a millimeter in, in the closeness that we experience with Jesus. And thirdly, how does the reality of Christ in you get lived out in your day-to-day life? In all the things you do, right? What does that look like to remember that Christ is in me? Desiring that we thrive and flourish in him. Let me pray and then we'll move on to a song and a benediction. Please remember there is prayer available for you too. God, I thank you for this day. For your presence here with us. Lord, I I pray that as we discover along with Paul what it means that Christ is in us. The intimacy there that sometimes is frightening and yet sometimes is is beyond words amazing. 
We discover what that means as we hear each other's stories, the things we've been through that we've maybe shared over Zoom or in an email, but now I'm going to be able to tell it to someone's face in a different way. I'm eager for that, God. So I pray you would bless those times and help us remember those stories as we both look back and we move ahead. I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.